Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. Will, have you ever had Barocca? About twice in my life, yes. Was this recent? Was it recent? Um, oh, good question. I think it was probably about 12 months ago, the last time I had a Barocca. So a year. So a year, yeah. <laughs> 12 months. In layman's terms, a year, yes. When you're counting months, do you just not round it up? No, I, I always go to 12 months and a day. I always That's how I count the months. Um, Wait, so... <laughs> yeah, I like to have 32 days in a month. Do you know how old you are in months? Uh, by my calculations, yes. No, so when you had Barocca, which I'm having a lot now because of coronavirus, because I want to defend myself, and for some reason I believe is, that... Is, is a Barocca the best... No, I think social isolating's better and not smoking is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but what I was trying to say is that I think Barocca... I'm trying to figure out if it's normal that it makes your pee a weird colour. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Tweet us at, at Dr. Hoodcast on Twitter. That's where you tweet. If you have any information about what Barocca is doing to your urine, hit us up. I'd love to know if it's just me. So, are you? Is it? Is it about viscosity or is it about color? Color. Color. Okay. The viscosity remains unchanged, but still alarming. <laughs> um, well, get some kind of test. But I don't know. But I don't know if it's normal or whether. There's something wrong with me, because Barack is having that effect on my piss. What? It's, it, there's no fizzy sensation, right? Well, no more than usual. Oh <laughs> no. no, I was talking. Okay. Thought you were talking well, is, about isn't... other stuff. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, I think that's a stellar way to start off our first ever episode of our podcast. Just talking about your urine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know exactly what you're getting. So friends, because eh. <laughs> we started off as mortal enemies. Yes, and in a good we way. Became close friends. Well, we became close friends through Doctor Who. 
uh, that's not how no that's not technically true no no you can't claim things like that when it's just but that true. would that would that would be a really neat way of bringing ourselves into the podcast getting let get people to know us but no that's not what happened <laughs> we were friends <laughs> yeah see but well, i was trying to make a nice transition by lying but it's a lie <laughs> that's true just like all fiction it's a lie <laughs> is this not a fiction podcast it's a truthful podcast about fiction which is lies yes that's a lovely distinction to make so today we're going to do the episode rose or tonight if you are listening to this podcast in the evening exactly you're going into the future with us season one episode one we're going to be going through every episode of Doctor Who chronologically of the Revival series, and if we run out, some of the classic series, but it's unlikely that we'll get to do all of that. Yes. There's too many episodes in that classic series. Oh, too many, and so many of them are bad. The problem with the classic series, I, lo- I love the classic series, but um, I do think the format of four episodes and six episodes hardly ever leads anywhere. You get yeah. an episode three where you're like, "Why? what was the point in having this episode? Yeah, and at a certain point, Michael Grade thought, what is the point of having this series? But yeah, this is the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw. This was not the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw, but um, this what I I previously watched... Well, fuck you! I know, right? Um, so I had watched Scream of the Shouter before. I had also watched um, a couple of VHS tapes, which I found in about 2003. Um, I say found. That sounds VHS. What's that? <laughs> for for the kids nowadays, it was a. It this was came a, it before was a... DVDs, which came before Blu-rays, which came before Netflix. Exactly, and then became came before Netflix Party, which doesn't work because we tried to watch Doctor Who on Netflix Party, and it was a fucking shit show. Yeah, but I've heard from other friends that they were absolutely fine. I don't understand how. Well, your friends are dickheads. Our friends, the cats. No, they're your friends. I've alienated myself. <laughs> like the doctor, you're like, I don't I don't deal with friendships. <laughs> there was like the last great friend war. The last great friend war. <laughs> only one came out alive, Charlie Harris. I blew up both sides and we're the only survivors of our friendship group. <laughs> What's the difference between being antisocial and asocial? Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I would assume that... And which one am I? I would say that you're... Is asocial, like, does the A, A come from, like, the bi in Latin? Like, so it's bisocial. B-Y social. Oh. No, I think it's like A... I think it's like asexual. I think it's like you don't see anyone, whereas antisocial might be... No one wants to see you. <laughs> well, I think that we're all asocial due to the the coronavirus quarantine uh but you are also that's true but we're making it work yes we are making it work very well this is Um, a pre-extinction podcast as well it's yeah it's nice it's nice to do a podcast on the edge of the apocalypse yeah so like when the last humans are recreating popular culture they could well accidentally stumble upon this podcast and think it had yeah high listenership this podcast is not just a it's not. This is not just a podcast. It's a time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> the, sure. uh, the, everything you need to know about April of twenty twenty. 
this is in this podcast. So this is the episode Rose, written by Ross T. Davis, starring Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor and Rose as Billy Piper. Yes, it is. Is that Rose as Billy Piper or Billy Piper as Rose? Well, they're the same thing. <laughs> um, what do you think of this episode? If you were, if you were to say, if you were to do the Madame Vastra one-word test on this episode, and just sum up What's this episode that? in one word, um, it was an episode. It was an episode. It was a um, a, a little speech, a little um, um, a duologue between two characters between Clara and Madame Vastra in the Snowman right. Doctor Who episode. Um, okay. So the one word I would use to describe this episode is run. Oh, I like that. Um, I would describe it as action. All right. Yeah. That's... I feel like the I feel like the score. I feel like the episode in general is all. It's all. It's all on a climax. It's all on like a fast-paced running through it thing. That one. <laughs> Jake, the listeners can't see. It's just Charlie's smiling me as so smiling me as I say all of that. Just like, oh bless him, he's trying to. He's, he's, oh look, Will's trying to do a podcast. I'm trying to do a podcast. I'm trying to say words. He's trying um, to say words. It's so cute. Um, yeah. So, what happens in this episode, Will? Um, so we start off in. Do you, want to, do you want the whole the whole of it? Do you want me to give you? Uh... Give a, no, summary no, because I, I feel like if we do that, it will go on for longer than anyone wants. Just say rough, roughly, you know, girl meets boy kind of thing. Well, it's kind of that. Um, girl. <laughs> oh my God, it is. <laughs> yeah, it literally is a girl meets boy story. Um, girl works in a shop. Um, quite mundane life, but quite, quite fast paced. You find out everything you need to know about the character very quickly. Boom. Literal Boom. Um, actually, no, not boom. She goes down to a basement, asks, working around lottery money, um, and she meets she meets these plastic aliens. She doesn't know who these aliens are there yet. And then she meets the doctor, and then she, he says run, and then he blows up. Her jo- yes, and then he um, blows up a job, and then she's jobless, and then he comes around the next day because there's a plastic arm in his in her apartment. Then they have a wonderful speech, and the doctor says that he can feel the gravity on planets. Um, then Rose goes to meet with um, Clive, who's a man, who, <laughs> who's a man. Uh... You're right, he is. <laughs> Played by Mark Benton. Mark Benton, we love you. Come on this show. Mark Benton, we love you. Come on the show. Um, what happens then? Uh, Mark Benton studies the Doctor. Apparently only the ninth Doctor. Um, and then Rose is like, he's a nutter. But while this all been happening, Mickey, her boyfriend, gets um, chucked in a bin. Which is made of plastic. Played by Noel Clark. We love you. Come on our show. Yes. Um, the, Mickey gets replaced by a plastic Mickey. They go and have dinner. And Mickey's like, sweet, 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 sweetheart. Sweetheart, darling. Babe, babe. Um, and then the doctor comes and corks Mickey. Who uh? uh, That's not a euphemism. Although it might be. Um, then they run away. They run away. Rose gets into this box. Um, and then gets out of the box. Because she's like, this is not a box. And then goes back into the box. And it's the TARDIS. Hey! And the doctor's like, I'm an alien. And then Rose is like, oh, that okay, is Mickey dead? And the doctor's like, oh, I don't care. And she's like, you don't care? And then they go to Westminster Bridge. And then the doctor's like, the Autons base is, is under the London Eye. And then they blow everything up. 
Jackie Rose's mum goes shopping and always gets killed by wedding autons. And then... I feel like that's her thing in the first season is always nearly getting killed. Always nearly getting killed by, by monsters. By herself as well. Most of the time, she's just by herself. She's very sad. She's very sad. What? What? Did you say she's very sad? She... Yeah, she has a sad time. She keeps nearly getting killed. I suppose that's sad. What did you think I meant? I don't know. I just thought she was. I thought you said she was just like sad as a character. I was like, she's just full of life and joy. Yeah, I know, but it's a defense mechanism. Do you know what Rossi Davis called um, Camille Kadari on set? I do because we looked at the same Twitter feed. <laughs> well, for the listeners who do not know, it's she's called Kippers. Kippers Kadori. Kippers Kadori. It's it's wonderful. How would you feel if if you were a grown woman, how would you feel if a gay man kept calling you a type of fish? <laughs> oh my god. That you you that is such a Have I ruined so, it for you? That's so bad. Thinking about it, it's so bad. Because the idea it of is. like fish being about realness is deeply problematic towards women. Yeah. And so that is actually terrible. I'm sure that's not what it was. I think it was just they ate kippers sometime or something. I, no, I think I mean maybe she just likes being called kippers. I don't know. I mean, I guess he wouldn't do it so publicly on Twitter about someone who is ostensibly his friend, unless she was probably okay with it. Literally, yeah, yeah. But this is great. This episode is the first time you see. Um, this new version of the Doctor, um, this new version of the TARDIS, this companion. Also this version of the Autons, because they appeared three times before? Or is it, this is their third appearance? Uh, two two times before. This is their third appearance with John Pertwee. They, he appeared twice in John Pertwee's. They, they, they appeared in the season openers of his first and second season. Spearhead from Stace and Terror of the Autons. That's really cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, and that, and also... Terror of the Autons is, I believe, and if I'm wrong, I do apologise, uh, Classic Who fans. Yeah, it's fine. So you can slap me on the wrist. Um, virtually, social distancing. Um, I believe that Terror of the Autons is the Master's first ever appearance. Yes, I think I know that somehow. <laughs> what do you think of the first outing of this new companion? Well, this episode is kind of made for Rose, um, and I think it does an amazing job of introducing her as a character um, so quickly and so fast, and you see all of her intentions. The first five minutes of it is just um, a quick scene throughout London of um, Rose's life. And I think that that celebration of the ordinary is quite a wonderful way of introducing her character to Doctor Who, of sort of showing her mundane life and then having it completely flipped on its head. Um, You know what's so great about it as well? Go on. Thank you. Is that Rose represents sort of the anti fan of Doctor Who? Yes, she does. She's not a nerd. She's not, and it's not obviously she's not the first good looking female companion the Doctor's had. But it's not that it's Billy Piper. It's that she's ordinary, not particularly sci fi ish, but still kind of awesome and not underdeveloped. Yeah, and especially with Classic Who, all of the companions would follow the Doctor blindly, no matter what terrible things he did. And although Rose does that, and she and she and she finds him amazing and spectacular, 
she does get a full glimpse of what it means to be um, associated with this man by going to visit Clive, by challenging him on certain things in terms of his own morality. It's it's important that she has that in the first episode because it's it's different as an introduction to every, so many other companions who just willingly follow the Doctor no matter what consequences happen. And also she initially doesn't want to go with him. Yes. It's not until he turns up and says, oh, it also travels through time. And she's like, oh, I can save my daddy. <laughs> it's all an ulterior motive. The whole of season one is an ulterior yeah, motive. She, she does it the long way around. She uses this poor damaged Time Lord to save her daddy, which we'll get to on Father's Day. Well, you could also argue that the Doctor uses his poor innocent girl to get over his PTSD of genocide. No. No, I, I refuse to believe it. I will hear nothing no. against Christopher Eccleston. The Doctor is an alpha, and he's being used by a Stacey. No, I dis. I heavily disagree with all of that, but okay. Yeah, yeah me, 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 me too. <laughs> Irony over podcast form. Yeah. I, can we joke about incels? Will they hurt us? I, 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 she, we're all we're all in our own houses now. That's so. true. We're all incels now. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it's also an introduction for another companion. Yes, a future companion. Who won't become an official companion until season two. But our first sight of Mickey. And he fucking sucks in this episode. It's really, it's a real shame in this episode. I think he's written to suck, but like, yeah. I've got a list of lines that Mickey says Go on. Um, throughout the lep- episode, and it dry like. I did not do that. Well, it's not, it's not, it's all the problematic lines. Uh, here's my woman. Nice. Kit off. Um, there's a match on. Any excuse to get into the bedroom, and then um, this is not necessarily a line, but when he <laughs> is at the end of the episode and he's about to get into the TARDIS. He's just the doc. Christopher Eccleston has to literally walk over him to get to the TARDIS. He's just like he's he's in the way. He's just in the way. He's just in the way. He's just like his first entry to the TARDIS is head first on his knees. Yeah, he's um, that could be bad blocking. Yes, I think Noel Clark's performance in this is very good though. Oh, he's hilarious, and he's also so cute. I know, I know. He there is, is a, so there is cute. A, there is an adorableness to... The problem is, is that he's an adorable misogynist. That's that's the problem with Mickey. <laughs> oh my God, I'm just remembering when she goes into the flat, which, interesting fact, is the same set as the Tyler's flat. Yes. Was it just painted differently? No, it was, yeah, it was redecorated, and it's too big to fit in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and he says to her, don't check my emails. <laughs> yeah, don't check my emails. There we go. And I was thinking, what's on his emails? But then I remembered, well, this is probably before internet porn took off, so men were probably emailing each other dirty stuff, right? Men were emailing each other dirty stuff. Well, yeah, because isn't that a thing? I swear that's a thing in Friends. Like, they email each other porn. Is this... I don't know. Am I imagining... I wasn't... I I didn't have email in 2005. No, I I did. Do, Do you want to guess what my email address was? No fonton.man at btinternet.com.co.uk. Ooh, that is Sexy, easy right? to remember. Yeah. Well, like yeah. the f- fontons of like a fonton torpedo of Star Trek, because I'm that cool. Uh, well, I thought it's photon. Well, I, okay, photon, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, fonton, fontoon. I got a takeaway last night from a Thai restaurant called Phantom. Did you? 
Yeah. Does that mean what does that mean anything in Thai or is it just is it just I don't a... know. I don't know. It means delicious. And it was like an hour it took an hour and a half. It took an hour and a half. Yeah. My brother went there um to complain because we were waiting for food and we were starving and they were so lovely and so apologetic. They were probably totally rushed off their feet. They turned the phones off because they were so in demand and they gave us a free bottle of wine because they were so lovely about it. Bless them. Well, Phantom. That's how, that's how you should deal with stuff. If anyone from Phantom wants to come onto this podcast and review Aliens in London, we'd love to have you. <laughs> if you're a fan of Doctor World War Three and talk about the coronavirus <laughs> and how it's affecting their business. Yeah. Let's also talk about the Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, the first Doctor with an overt Northern accent. Yes, the first Doctor with a character storyline that is like implicitly created actually i would say sylvester mccoy also has a character storyline um i to peter davison to some extent i don't know i don't know how much christopher davison changes i think well the christopher davison wasn't a doctor christopher davison did i just say christopher davison <laughs> just peter davison with chris freckleston's ears oh my gosh now that would be an image um no peter davison potentially changed changed a bit but it's the most it's the most overt it's ever been yeah having having the time war having uh the doctor the the doctor very very obviously show pain in this episode yeah um it's it it's it's a lovely direction for him to go in um when when do you think for you he clicked as the doctor because i know for me when it clicked the thing is that i didn't know what i expected from the doctor i remember so i was eight and i was watching this episode and i was watching it with my dad and I didn't even know Christopher Eccleston was playing him, because I didn't know who that was. And when Mickey came on, I said, oh, is he Doctor Who? Because I just thought the first male character to come on would be the Doctor. I, I, I knew nothing about it. And for me, it's when he grabs Rose's hand, says run, and they're running away from the Autons. And my dad said, no, that's Doctor Who. Mm. And for some reason, even though I knew nothing about what that meant... That was when I just locked in on it. When, just, just out of interest, was it a thing that you didn't know you would have liked and your parents knew you well and knew the show and were like, okay, watch this with us because you'll like it? I think it's probably a mix of, oh, this will be good. The kids will like this. And also they were probably curious to see what it would be like. Because mm. my dad watched it like in the John Pert with Tom Baker and then stopped. Yeah, my 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 parent. I know that my dad watched um, William Hartnell, which I find amazing. Um, he can't remember most of it because he was very young at the time. Uh, but he his main doctor, I believe, was um, Hartnell and Troughton, and then um, Tom Baker when he was a bit older. Yeah, he sort of missed Pertwee, but completely, I believe, um, <laughs> which is a bit rude. Um, whereas my mum's favorite doctor is John Pertwee. She's obsessed with him. John Pertwee is lots of people's favorite doctors. Yeah. On more of a similar level than I thought to Baker, which is interesting. Yes, I I, I never imagined that either as John Pertwee being the favorite Doctor because he's so he is one of the Doctors that take that goes out of the the type that's created that's almost that started by Hartnell and then and then solidified by Troughton. Um, John Pertwee is departure from all the pr- next Doctors, I would say, comparatively. Yeah, like all the Doctors have got a st- different personality, but all of the all of them have a have a similar focus and anarchic charm 
that to, that start with Troughton. And, I agree. Um, get Did I tell you about the time I met Tom Baker? No. <gasps> you met the man? Oh my God, did I tell you? No. So I was, um, I was running an errand for somewhere I was interning at um, in Soho. And I was walking down the street and he comes out of this restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I stop and I'm completely starstruck because, you know, it's Tom Baker. And I just kind of stop the street, stare at him with my, you know, eyebrows around the back of my head. And he notices me staring at him, smiles. And because I'm an idiot, I said, you're, you're Tom Baker. Oh, no. No. It's the worst no, thing to no. say. It's a good story. It's a good story. No, yeah, continue. And he said, um, you've got a very good memory. <laughs> And again, I was still so speechless, and I just said, "I just, I just, I just think you're absolutely wonderful." Bless you, Charlie. And he said, well, thank you very much. Oh. And he walked off into a taxi. Oh, what a wonderful man! I know he still got it. He still got it. I, well, I was watching um, him on "Have I Got News for You," the the bloopers. Yeah, it's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> He's yeah. so good on that show. And he's just, he's just baffling as a human being. I love, I love when he says like, well, I think the thing about the doctor is that you have to, um, uh, you have to be this anarchic, crazy alien. And I thought the best way of playing this was just to play Tom Baker. (laughs) I love him. All interesting about, interesting about him is that he was the first Northern actor to play the doctor. Yes. Very good tangent back to Chris. Yeah. But. Moving on, I think we'll have plenty of time to reminisce about Tom Baker on episodes he does not appear in. Yes. Um, the Autons. What What do we think of the Autons? I think that the actual soldiers of the Autons, i.e. the plastic dummies, um, are really cool. I like them. I think they're quite creepy. They move really disconcertingly. Yeah. They sort of move forwards and then side to side as well. And I love that. Um, I love the creaking of the plastic as a sound effect. Yeah. Um, that makes them. That makes them quite terrifying. Um, Here's a question. Here's a question. Are they autonomous, or are they all controlled by the Nestine? Do they? Are they their own things, or are they just robots being controlled by Nicholas Briggs as a pile of orange goo? I believe that they are all controlled by the Nestine. Yes. Because they all die Phantom Menace style. They all die Phantom Menace style. I think it's very like um, the, um, no, I was about to say they're like the the Ood in um, Planet of the Ood, but that they are they are they are forgot. That's a hive mind, and I think it's a hive mind in the same way. But does that make the Autons real? Yeah, because the Ood are real. Because they're living plastic, but also they never really explain it. And the Autons don't really appear again until much much later. Yes, when's the next time they appear? Season five. I think, yeah, the Pandora opens, isn't it? The Pandora opens, and that's it, I believe. That's after that, that's, yeah. that's the end of it. Because there's only so much you can do with them. Yeah, they're not they're not um I feel like what what was good about them is that they, they were, were perfect, perfect for this episode. Correct, exactly. They were perfect for this episode because they could be beaten in its totality. You didn't need to have any other storylines about them. But also they could hide in plain sight. 
Yes. And they add to the sort of the Doctor Who at home nature of this episode. Yeah, and the ordinary made scary. Yes, exactly. Apart from the bin. Yeah, which fucking sucks. I hate the bin. I was thinking about it. I just think I, I think it fucking sucks. I think that bit sucks. Do you hate the bin? It's in, in its totality. Do you just, think? Just it... say in, in, in entirety. Totality isn't a word. <laughs> you have it's... a fucking English degree. Yeah, literature. I read words. I don't say them. Yes, and you should know what those words are. <laughs> I think the core of English is creating new words and and expanding the language. So I'm going to say totality for the rest of my life now. I'm going to I'm going to deliberately make. Oh no! I've it. done this. You've done this. You've created your own worst I nightmare. I can't believe I've done this. It's like um, in Parks and Rec, Mike Sure. You know, um, Chris Lowe's char- uh, Rob Lowe's character of Chris Traeger says literally all the time, and um, Webster's Dictionary changed the meaning of literally to mean literally or figuratively, which is Mike Sure's pet peeve. So he created <laughs> his own worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I've done, totality. It's like a weird... The word literally, just going off on a tangent here, if you can imagine such a thing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's inflated its own meaning. Because at some point, very became not enough. Oh, that's a nice way of saying that. Um, I was talking to my mother about other words that have... Um, is, it, is it amazing? Um, is that is that the word? That, that... Amazing. Like, mum was like, when when I was younger, amazing was much more sparingly used. Yeah, so was cunt. <laughs> we use cunt all the time, if you notice was that. It, was it less used? Americans don't. Americans really don't. I was working at a summer camp in America. Affectionately, I called my boss a cunt. Oh, no. It did not go well. Were you almost fired? No, it was more of a... Uh, I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> and I was like, no, I know exactly what it means. I know what it means, and I'm looking at one. Ah! She did have her leg in stirrups, just to be clear. So I was working as the on-site gynecologist. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, a big... The nesting consciousness. Speaking of big... <laughs> Um, let's try that again as a transition. Uh, Speaking of big, the nesting <laughs> consciousness. Um, I am unimpressed by the... By me? Yes, by you. But also by the nesting consciousness's look, I would say. I think it's the one part of the episode that falls down for me in terms of terror. I don't think it looks that bad until we drop the anti-plastic in. Because it's just... The te- the textures involved, it just looks so flat. Yeah. It looks like it's it's three um, D animation that looks two D. Yeah, t- totally. Um, although um, Nicholas Nicholas Briggs's first appearance in the revival series, voicing the nesting consciousness. Yes, that is a nice touch. Shout out to Nicholas Briggs to come on our show. Yep, I I do have a problem with the fact that his voice is used though. Me too. But that's not his fault. Oh no, not at all. No, no, I would never blame Nicholas Briggs. That's not Nicholas's fault. We'll not hear a bad word about Nicholas Briggs. Never blame Nicholas. Fucking saint. Nicholas Briggs, did he help start um, the, the uh, Big Finish? Am I right in thinking that? I have no idea. I'd love it if it were true. 
and I'll be disappointed if it's not, and I will hold you personally responsible. <laughs> but, yeah, you know that his line was only put in in post-production? Yes. I mean, obviously, it was in post-production. He wasn't standing there with a microphone. Yeah, but we we, we talked about the fact that um, we don't know if the Doctor is is mentioned as being a Time Lord in this episode, or if it's the end of the world. And I completely forgot... That that the that the nesting whispered it, which is stupid. Like the nesting doesn't talk; it groans and shouts and sh- shrieks and rides itself around, and then suddenly it just whispers, "Time, Lord." Like that's stupid. Like I understand that post production is a thing, but I didn't need the exposition of Time Lord. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know what purpose it fills in this episode. Mm. Yeah. So, what was your favorite moment? My favourite moment, I think, of, of the entire episode is probably, and this is not everyone's favourite moment, um, but it's probably Rose entering the TARDIS for the first time. Ooh, that's a, that's, a, that's a nice one. Because it's, I think it's the best it's ever done. I love that they're in danger and the Doctor just casually just walks into the TARDIS and Rose is like, what the hell are you doing? Just walking into a wooden box and is trying to beat, is trying to beat down this... Um, this this metallic corrugated iron wall with a lock on it. She's trying to get out, and she's and she doesn't go into the TARDIS to because she because she thinks she'll be safe in there. She goes into the TARDIS to to tell the Doctor what the hell are you doing? Help me with this lock because you're all you're doing is just being in a wooden box. You're an idiot. And then the scene where she goes in, looks around. All you see is this green light. You don't see the TARDIS interior. Then she runs back out, checks all the walls sort of braces herself to enter again and then runs in and then stops and then the panning shot that pans from like it goes from her vision to the ceiling almost and then circles the TARDIS and it looks so gorgeous it's beautiful I love that TARDIS design I think it's I think it's incredible uh, that's the one and only for me um I think there are others that um do you know whose TARDIS design has really um has 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 really resonated with me in the last in the last year. I don't know why. I never used no, to like Will, it. No, Will, tell me. <laughs> tell me. Uh, Peter Capaldi's. Tell me. Peter Capaldi's tar- TARDIS. Oh, yeah. It's it's great, but it's not mine. Like. Mm, no, that's true. If it looked like Capaldi's, I'd probably feel the same about Capaldi's, but it didn't, so I don't. Yeah, I know. But then there's, I think the wonderful thing about the design of this TARDIS is um, I like the the fact that it's it's raised. I like the fact that, like, you have to run up and the central control is is up. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love the organicness of the walls. I love that the round things are not protruding. Like, they're just in... They're just part... It's almost like part of a living being. Totally. Um, do you know... And this, this only appears properly in the next episode, so I'm not going to mention it too much. My favourite thing about the new TARDIS is that when the, the Doctor wants to ramp up, he has like a like a bellow irons that he yeah. uses. It's also ramshackle. It's, yeah, it's almost also ramshackle. But you know, it's actually based, I think, on a backup generator that Tom Baker's TARDIS had. Uh, I think there was really? a backup console room with like, the, with the supports. Oh, I love that TARDIS room, the wooden one. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was all wood. It was all wood. It was... It not was, his main room. No, not the main room. Yeah, 
He used it for about half a series. I don't exactly know the plot for that. Anyway, we're talking about Tom Baker again. How have we gone to Tom Baker again? Because he's so present and I think about him all the time. I think about him. I, I think about him most days. Constantly. Um, so, okay, we talked about the your my favourite moment. What's your favourite moment of the episode? Well, funny you should ask that, Will. Uh, my favourite moment, it's not nearly as important in the grand scheme of things. It's when... <laughs> it's most of the sequence when the Doctor comes into Rose's flat. But it's specifically when he's walking past Jackie's bedroom oh. and smiles at her. And she's there in that... Pilk satin, pilk, pink, <laughs> pink satin dressing gown. She said, there's a strange man in my bedroom. Yes. I'm in my dressing gown. Yes. Anything could happen. And he just shuts it down completely. And I just feel for her. And I, not a day goes by. I don't think about what could have been if he'd have just gone. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. I've got five minutes. You've got five before, minutes, yeah. Before I have to deal with the alien threat. I mean, it's just the Autons. It's not like it's the Daleks. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a a scene that was cut. No, no there was a scene that wrote, Rusty Davis wrote for the Target novelization of this, of Rose, where after <laughs> the Doctor and Rose have the fight and they crash through yeah. the coffee table, I know this. Um, Jackie comes in and says, Rose, you tart. Rose Tyler, you tart. <laughs> Rose Tyler, you tart. No, I think that was a oh. cut. No, I think that was a cut line from the episode. I think they filmed that line. Oh, maybe. We, we are very lucky that we are doing this. In it, we are starting with this podcast at a time where coronavirus happens. I mean, that sounds that's a really weird setup. Yeah, but, um, I'm glad it's killed so many. No, what I mean is that because of these um, wonderful. Um, the the Doctor Who live streams and the live tweets. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, not because of the deadly virus that's going to kill us all eventually. Um, but not before episode four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, let's move on. So I just wanted to talk about one other favourite moment I have, which is the... Um, the Okay. Uh, the Doctor and Rose, go um, where they travel from inside of Rose's flat after they've just been attacked by the rope, the plastic hand. Um, to the Doctor going to the TARDIS. It's that one long panning shot of them having a conversation, ending in what I think is the first, like, of the Doctor's big monologues. The Doctor's got lots of monologues over the series, but I'd say this this really sums up who his character is and the alienness and the mystery of the Doctor so well and so beautifully, where he's talking about how he can feel the curvature of the earth, the turn of the earth going around the sun, about how we're falling through space as as um, beings and we need to cling on for dear life. It's it's a beautiful, beautifully written speech. And I think my favourite thing about it is the Doctor being able to laugh and joke with Rose, but then go immediately serious and almost trying to, like, not freak her out, but almost trying to wake her up to the, the the mystery and power of the universe, which I love. No, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. I also love that entire sequence just in the way that it's framed. Mm. I thought the first couple of times I watched it, I thought it was all one take, but it's actually there is a break between them coming down the stairs from Rose's flat to the walk, which is um, seemingly done on one take. Um. 
I love the way it's kind of like there's a weird Sorkin esqueness about it. Mm. You know how this really cool back and forth, which is funny but also really drives the story along, and it doesn't work as like an exposition dump. It's these two characters having a conversation that you believe they would have at that moment, but done in such an entertaining way that you don't notice that everything they say is so crucial. Yeah, it's 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 a nice way of doing exposition without having to, um, without having to like like plot point plot point plot point. But this is mixed. This has plot points, but then some of the plot points are just sort of taken non seriously or laughed about or turned on their heads in lots of different ways. You almost forget their plot points and their more character points, which I like even more. It, it melts the two together. I would say that that sequence is Eccleston at his most likable in the episode. More so than him going into the flat. I think when he comes into the flat, he comes off as a bit over the top and a bit arrogant. He's over the top whilst at the same time being detached. Yeah. It's... For me, it marks the transition of the Doctor caring about humans again. Yeah, but I think that there's something... I don't I don't know. It just felt like it was... The stuff in the flat was kind of there to be funny. Mm. But I would say a lot of the stuff in their conversation is funnier. Oh, yeah. And also, it just feels more natural. Like, like when she says, you can't just go swanning off. And goes, yes, I can. This is oh, me swanning off. Love that line. And it's so cool and it feels so natural and i just no i, I really love that whole sequence mm. what's your least favorite moment in the episode my least favorite moment yeah hmm i would probably say and this is such a pet peeve of mine um that i've that it, it gets me annoyed to even say it's the end of the episode it's where rose has is has agreed to go with the Doctor. She kisses Mickey on the cheek and runs towards the TARDIS. And it's a slow-mo shot of Rose running towards the TARDIS and then the Doctor Who theme music sounds. And it's a beautiful moment. And then they just have this weirdly weird shot of the door shutting on the TARDIS. And I know that's pernickety. I know that's a bit um, a bit of a gripe. But for me, it's just like you had, you had almost got the perfect episode. And then to end on this clunker annoys me to this day. No, I, I understand that. Um, my least favourite, I think, is a bit less pernickety, if you don't mind me saying. Oh, good. No, no, no. This is a nice role reversal. <laughs> I know. You're being the fussy one and I'm being basic. <laughs> Go on. What's your worst moment or least favourite moment? Pretty much everything with Plastic Mickey. I don't like how Plastic Mickey has powers that all, all the Autons don't have. Like, I think it would have been cooler if Mickey's hand, like, slid and did the shot. And I know that that ruins the surprise for later yeah. of Clive's death. But the weird sort of, um, like, Ginsu, Ginsu, Ginsu slabs um, plate hands that he's got. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first thing I don't like about it isn't even that he gets devoured into the bin. Although I'm not mad on the bin burping. I think some people really like it. Anna Rossity Davis really likes it. But I think that... Plus stuff like this slithine farting stuff. I think that's evidence of the show at an early point. And these ep and those episodes were actually filmed back to back. Yes. Them still trying to figure out the tone. That might be a coincidence, but I just think it's interesting. Um, but I, my main problem with the Plastic Mickey thing is that 
it requires Rose to be stupid. Yeah, it requires Rose to not see that her boyfriend is a, is a different is is literally painted like it look it like it, yeah it, it's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. And babe, babe, sweetheart, babe. Yeah, at that point she's seen the arm come to life, and you know attack her. She's seen some stuff, and she even says to the doctor, "Oh, you know, you can tell me. I've seen enough." And you know what? She has. Yes. And she's, you know, seeing the stuff about the Doctor through Clive. She clearly, even though she rejects that, it means that her level of discernment has to just take a nosedive. What What I find hilarious about that scene is how on earth does Rose get to the restaurant without not without finding out? Yeah. And also, um, sorry, my dog's just come in. Hello, Stevie. Oh. You can't see her because the audience can't. <laughs> but um also were they talking about getting a takeaway and then they go to a restaurant no they say pizza p- 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 pizza yeah pizza chinese i i thought they were talking about getting a takeaway it looked like a very fancy pizza place that was it didn't look like a pizza place like if mm. someone says let's go for a pizza i'm thinking like pizza express pizza Hut. <laughs> I, lo- I love that those are your two points of references. Oh, no, they're, they're the most popular pizza restaurants in the country. Well, it kind of, it kind of looks like the inside of a Pizza Express. I could, I could get down with that. It could do. It doesn't have those weird granite tables, though. No, but were they, were they a thing in 2005? Oh, yeah. I've been going to, I was going to Pizza Express since I was... Pizza Express is, like, my jam. You and Prince Andrew. Oh, God, is Prince Andrew a Pizza Express person? Do you not know about this? No. In his Emily Maitlis interview, <laughs> this is a mad tangent, but he was saying that I couldn't have uh, had sex with that 17-year-old because I was at Pizza Express in Woking, which is a very unusual thing for me to do, which is why I remember it so well. Oh, gosh. Brand recognition. Me me and me and Prince Andrew um, in, pizza, in Pizza Express <laughs> together. Yeah, was he there when you were... You weren't in Woking, were you? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's talk, moving swiftly on from Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein, <laughs> Easter eggs in this episode. Yes. Um, I suppose that you could count the, the, the... Well, I wouldn't count these as Easter eggs, but that's, I'm going to put, put them under this category of the, the Doctor's faces mm-hmm. in Clive's... Um, in, in Clive's... Um, what's it called? Shed? They call it a shed. They, uh, I think that's what most people call those huts in the garden. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. I've never known what those things were. It's like, are they second houses? Clubhouse. <laughs> no idea. Greenhouse. Um, they've got hot tubs in them. Um, so why, why are they Easter eggs? Well, this isn't technically an Easter egg, but I think it's important to talk about the exclusion of potential Easter eggs that there could have been. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Like it could have been a, it could have been a place where that we had loads and loads of Easter eggs from old Doctor Who's past. Totally. But the deliberate choice of not having those Easter eggs, and I think throughout this episode there are Easter eggs to things, but they get presented either very subtly or not, or or get downplayed. Sure. Because it's a new introduction to the show. Um, like you don't have. Like I always expect. Like, for example, in the Doctor Who movie, you have. Easter eggs upon Easter eggs upon Easter eggs upon Easter eggs because they're because the way they're doing a pilot is throwing out 
like the jelly bait they're throwing out the jelly babies and reverse the polarity and the sonic screwdriver and previous versions of the doctor do, do they reverse the polarity i think he says reverse the polarity at some there's point. temporal drift oh maybe maybe i'm thinking of the stupid temple drift and the eye of harmony and they chuck in the daleks and they chuck in the master do we have any easter eggs of monsters of the doctor well i mean i mean the autons are a callback and they're a recurring monster i don't know if I think they're too prevalent to count as Easter eggs. Yes. An Easter egg I found out, which you might find interesting. Or you might not. I don't know. Okay, go on. I think the first photo he shows Rose, Clive shows Rose of the Doctor is on the day of the Kennedy assassination. Yes. Which is a reference to the fact that the first ever episode of Doctor Who in 1963 aired the day after the Kennedy assassination. Oh, that's a nice Easter egg. And people weren't sure whether or not people would like light entertainment. Spoiler alert, they did. They ate that shit up. We have talked about that be that photo being terribly edited, right? Oh, it's shite. It's terribly fo- photoshopped in. Like, it just doesn't look like the Doctor's head is there. Is... Do you know who did the editing for that? No. Russell T. Davies. That's so funny. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that... But I've I've had this complaint for years, and now as soon as Rossi Davis did it, I'm like, I mean, it's all right. I mean, it's not too bad. <laughs> oh, anyway, another tangent. Uh, go on, Easter eggs. Another Easter egg. It's not really an Easter egg to the show, but it is an Easter egg towards. I, I think the way that people were viewing the show was the line, which I think is a great line, is if you're an alien, how can you sound like you're from the north? Hmm. And the fact, that's a reference to the fact that a lot of people were saying, oh, he's too northern to play the Doctor. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very, very clever line. I like that. But it's a very funny line and it works in the context of the episode while also having a, another meaning. I think, I think, I think Rusty Davis is quite meta with this episode in general. He sort of, he, uh, this episode is almost like, not, not intentionally and not. Not as much as he could have been. No, not as much as he could have been. I think, in ter- I think I, when I say meta in this context, I mean, um, b- meta about the intention. Yeah. Because it's almost like this episode debunks all of the things that the newspapers were writing about. Totally. The, the return of Doctor Who before Doctor Who started. I mean, people didn't like the, people didn't like the look of Chris Frappleston, which in hindsight was such as like a bold move. Yeah, well, I think he would. I think when the original shots came out and Christopher Eccleston was in a um, leather jacket and black t-shirt and really short hair and really short hair, there was outrage. But I think that I think that everyone assumed that 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 with like so many of the previous Doctors, the outfit wasn't to do with the character. I think of Colin Baker the whole time with this. Yeah, Colin Baker's Colin Baker's outfit being but he hated so the outfit. He hated the outfit, and it's so odd with his with his um, quite grumpy, quite alien, quite um, at some points callous doctor. The only thing his outfit has in common with his character is how off-putting they both are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I really need to watch. Um, we we'll come up to Dalek in this season, and apparently Dalek is um, kind of um, foreshadowed by a big finish episode called Jubilee of Colin Baker and apparently that's amazing so I desperately want to watch that um so um yeah I think that about brings us to a close we originally had a plan for a segment called sexy moments subtitled not that sort of doctor yes but we covered it in all the other sections 
So closing thoughts on this episode? I think it's a wonderful episode of TV. It's, so do I. It's, it's a wonderful way of introducing the character. Um, it's it's a great idea to do it through basically Rose's eyes the entire episode. Um, it's a nice idea to build a companion. Like, I would say it's one of the best introductions to com- companion. Definitely in New Who, but almost certainly in, in classic Doctor Who. Um, the character's done a lot of justice. I think Chris Freckleson rocks in the path, the part. Um, he rocks in the path. That's that's very deep. Um, and no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it can be. What does it mean? I don't know. I could I could hear that being in a James Joyce novel though. Sure, but how many James Joyce novels do people read now? <laughs> that's a good question. He's had his day. He's had his day. Yeah. Um, who even is he? Who even who even is James Joyce? What's he doing now? What's James Joyce doing now? That's a Doctor Who episode. Who Who is James Joyce? <laughs> who framed James Joyce? Who is the real James Joyce? Was he an alien? <laughs> um, I think my only problem with this episode is the... I think there is a slight issue in filming. Um, some of the scenes... I, I think in particular the scene where Rose is um, jumping... Um, She's she's jumping off the chain, if that if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, that is too that is very heavily cut together, and I think that it it suffers for it. Uh, and then there's small things like the Nestine's design and Mickey's design, but that doesn't ruin what, in terms of the writing, is a fantastic episode. Um, and I really want to read Rusty Davis's Target novelization of it as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so I'm I am. Excited to continue with the rest of the season. I love season one as a season. I think I think it doesn't have a weird episode, uh, a, a bad episode. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. And I think every episode is so focused on what it says about the series that it's all essential viewing, which is great. Yeah. What would you rate this episode out of nine? Out of nine. Oh, I like that. Um, I would rate it a seven out of nine. Okay. I would rate it as a six out of nine. Nice. Uh, slightly lower. I think there are some things in it that grated with me a bit more than it grated with you. And I really love this episode. And it was definitely, as soon as I saw this episode, I was totally on board with the series. But there's just a few things that I think... I think there are some weird editing choices... Um, like the fact that Jackie doesn't acknowledge when the table gets smashed. All the stuff with Plastic Mickey kind of pisses me off. And again, a lot of the explanation for that was edited out. But I think that by and large, the performances, specifically Exton and Billy Piper, are just phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to going over the next few episodes with you, Will. Yes, definitely. I'm very excited as well. Um, I lo- I love that this season. Um, it that someone points this out. This season never leaves Earth. At they are at different times in Earth, but it never leaves Earth. I'm trying to think if that's true. It probably is. Yes, you're right. End of the world. They're at the end of the Earth. Yeah. Unquiet Dead. They're they're in Dick Dickensian. Uh, oh, no, Victorian London. Um, aliens and yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. 
Yeah, yeah it's fine. you don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to. But th- I think that that I think that leading from this episode, I think that the reason the importance of that is that this this episode sets up what this season is, which mm-hmm. is a Doctor Who story um, focused around Earth. And not always, not always about Rose Tyler and her family, although that is a big part of this season, and it introduced well this episode. But um, it's really grounded in science fiction's interaction with the human race, sure. and I like as as a way of starting a season. It's a nice way of expanding the world without taking the audience out of their comfort zone. Yeah, um, which is very important for the for a first season of anything. Um, especially when they have to combat all the weird aliens that don't look like weird aliens. Um, but we'll get to more of that in End of the Fucking World. Not End of the Fucking World. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you like what you hear, please... I don't know if you can subscribe yet. I'm not quite sure where we're going to be releasing it, but you can follow us on Twitter, where we will be releasing links to all these episodes, on at Dr. Hoodcast on Twitter. That's at Dr. Hoodcast on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. Twitter. That's what we're gonna do. See, we're gonna we're gonna tweet. All right. Take care. We love you very much. See you next time. Bye. Love you.